Hello and welcome to the news beat on the Limerick Voice. My name is Maxim Dundun. Today we have four different stories which include the current state of the economy of Ireland and the EU due to the pandemic, third level students react to the continuation of online schooling the coming year, how the pandemic has affected the film industry, a preview of the All Ireland Orlean Championship semi finals. But first, here's the news with Kean Dalton. Thanks, Maxim. The headlines this evening. Limerick's 14-day COVID-19 incident rate has fallen below 200 following the 12 cases announced yesterday evening. This is the first time since November 12th that the incident rate has fallen this low in the county. The Coombe Hospital has awarded an interim settlement of €3.3 million Euro to Rosie Slevin due to the circumstances of her birth in 2016. The four-year-old who cannot walk or speak and suffers frequent seizures sued through her parents. The government has been meeting this morning to discuss their plans to exit Level 5 restrictions. Hairdressers and gyms are expected to be permitted to reopen next week as the government moves towards a Level 3 plus scenario. The matter was debated in the Dáil this evening. Anna Maria Casey reports. The Cabinet met this morning to consider how Ireland will leave Level 5 restrictions next week. It is expected that Ireland will leave restrictions in a staged manner with Level 3 as a starting point. This would mean that hairdressers, gyms and churches will reopen with pubs and restaurants remaining closed for now. According to Public Expenditure Minister Michael McGrath, the way in which Ireland will exit Level 5 restrictions will not accommodate everyone. Minister McGrath said, We are very conscious of businesses that haven't been able to open for some time. December is a critical month, but at the same time we have made real progress on the virus front and we don't want to sacrifice that unnecessarily. Speaking the doll today, Taoiseach Michal Martin said, Ireland is second best in the European Union in terms of keeping the virus down. There will be risks moving into the Christmas period and the challenge is how we'll mitigate those risks. A Cabinet subcommittee meeting will be held this evening to further discuss Ireland's exit from Level 5. Following the alleged leak of thousands of young women's images online last week, sharing intimate photographs on the internet without consent now attracts up to seven years in jail. The new measures were brought to Cabinet by Justice Minister Helen McEntee earlier today. Maxim Dundun reports. Justice Minister Ellen McKenty got the cabinet to approve to legislate against anyone found guilty of sharing intimate images without consent. Whoever is found guilty could face up to seven years imprisonment under the new offence to tackle the non-consensual posting of sexual images. The new offence is set to deal with the recording, sending and distributing of intimate images without consent. She advocates that Irish law needed an update in the area since the advent of text messages. The new offence is a way to protect Irish women who are about to face harsh realities in situations of their private photos being leaked online without much consequences. The Social Democrats are proposing a private member's motion to defund the greyhound racing industry. The motion will be put forward in the Dáil on Wednesday. Here's Aidan Corbett with more. Social Democrats co-leader Catherine Murphy is fronting a motion to defund the greyhound industry alongside TD Holly Cairns. The motion aims to reverse the 2.4 million euro increase in funding awarded to the greyhound industry for 2021. The Social Democrats also aim to increase funding for the welfare of greyhounds and phase out state support for the industry. The greyhound industry has come under intense pressure since the RTE documentary Running for Their Lives was released in 2019, revealing cruelty within the industry. An online petition currently has over 4,000 signatures. And now in sports, there is news coming from the county boards of Louth, Roscommon and Leash GAA. Here's Aidan with more. Mickey Hart has been ratified as the new Louth senior football manager for the next three years. The former Tyrone manager's immediate focus will be on returning Louth to Division 3 after the Wee County suffered relegation to Division 4 in the elongated 2020 season. 
Anthony Cunningham will be staying with the Roscommon Footballers until the end of the 2022 season. The Galway native, who initially signed on in 2018 on a two-year deal, has now had that extended by a further two years. Finally, Eddie Brennan has stepped down as Leash Senior Hurling Manager. The eight-time All-Ireland winner with Kilkenny spent two years with the Midlands County, winning the Joe McDonough Cup in 2019 and recording a shock victory over Dublin in the All-Ireland qualifiers that same year. Aidan Corbett, reporting for Newsbeat and the Limerick Voice. Thanks, Aidan, and thanks to the rest of the team. Back to you, Maxim. With a return to severe COVID-19 restrictions in recent weeks, immediate damages to the economy of Ireland and the EU in general would be expected. Here's Anna Maria Casey telling us more about this. Thanks, Maxim. I discussed the past, present and future of the Irish economy with Stephen Kinsler, Associate Professor of Economics in the Kemi Business School in Newell and the Chief Economic Writer at Currency.News. Ireland is currently providing a range of supports to those financially affected by COVID-19. Could you explain how Ireland is financing these supports? The Irish state is issuing sovereign debt, which is being bought by the European Central Bank. Um, So the European Central Bank is uh, printing off money and it is using that money to exchange for the bonds uh, of the the Irish state. So every or almost every penny that people are getting, they're being borrowed at very, very, very low interest rates. It's not unfair to call it almost free money, which is not a bad thing, but it does need to be paid back at some point in the future. In your opinion, what is the most appropriate measure that Ireland should take to be able to pay these borrowings back in the future? need to raise taxes. Fundamentally, uh, more people need to pay more taxes and more types of taxes. I'll give you three examples. The first is a wealth tax or a net wealth tax. So wealth is anything that's like a stock of income. Think about stocks, bonds, shares, houses, think company stock, things like that. Then the second type of tax is, is employers, PRSIs. This is pay-related social insurance. This is the stuff that pays for sick pay. And then the third type of tax that needs to rise is uh, income tax. So more people need to pay more income tax. But the way you do that is you will tax wealth first, then you'll tax employers, then you, you increase taxes on people with uh, lower incomes because you need to be able to actually offset some of the costs that people on lower incomes have. Those costs are basically three types of costs. Versus housing costs, which is the main expense for uh, lots of uh, lower income workers. The second thing you do is you lower the price of childcare to free or nearly free, and you heavily subsidise it. And the third thing is you really invest in public infrastructure like uh, cycle paths and trains and things like that. So you really reduce their transport expenditure. Then, given that their disposable income will be higher, you're not putting people to the pin of their collar by asking them to pay more in their share of income taxes. So that's how you pay for that. And you do it gradually over a five to 10 year period. So you don't have a situation where you have to jack up taxes on people like we had in 2007, 2008. Is it a good thing for Ireland to be an EU member during this time of emergency? Extremely good. Uh, with the, the European Central Bank can print money unlimited quantities and it has no difficulty assessing its, its, assuring its credibility because it's effectively backed by France, France and Germany. Um, the Irish Central Bank, on the other hand, is a central bank of five million people, you know, essentially the population of the city of Birmingham. So it would struggle to maintain the kind of very, very low interest policies we see now. It's actually the big difference between this one, this this crisis and the last crisis. Last crisis, we had very high interest rates on sovereign debt, so we weren't able to borrow. So we had to reduce spending on other things, and that was called austerity. Will it take time for the economy to recover beyond the successful vaccination program? Yes. Uh, remember, we have some firms that are deeply damaged. 
even if you could distribute the vaccine freely to everyone by teleporting it into their veins, you would still have at least a year or two of a dramatic economic decline um, in some places. And in other places, there's going to be a huge boom because uh, people haven't been able to spend. So that means they've been saving or they've been paying down debt. Regardless, it means that for every euro the economy earned in the, in the second quarter of 2020, it actually saved 35 cents of that. And that money is going to go somewhere. It's just a huge wall of money. And we actually don't know where it's going to go. They may use it to, to help Irish businesses. They, they may not. I, I don't know. So lots of Irish businesses simply won't survive this. And there's going to be a retraining problem. Uh, what do we do? with people whose jobs don't exist anymore. In Ireland, we have one policy for those people, emigrate. We kind of touched on it a bit earlier as well. So what is the difference between this crisis and the financial crisis of 2008? First is we can borrow at nearly zero from the European Central Bank. The second thing is that we actually know what to do in a crisis. So everyone who's working in the Department of Finance, in the Department of Antishak, they were all there. And it's a function of their deep experience, actually, that, that sort of led to all the speed. They knew that moving faster was what people needed. And so, like, that's another key thing, the experience of the people in, in those offices. Was being a member of the EU and the Euro a help or a hindrance in the lead-up to the 2008 crisis? It was, a, it was both a help and a hindrance. So it was a help in the sense that they provided us with very cheap credit. And it was a hindrance in that that very cheap credit was, was given to banks. And those banks then lent it out to people who then speculated on, a, on an asset. Some people got rich, some people got poor, and they blew it up. So it was only really, really uh, joining the European Union was a great idea. Joining the monetary union was probably not such a great idea. But when you're inside a monetary union, getting out of it is so incredibly expensive that no one will ever do it. Now we have Aidan discussing the past weekend's All-Ireland Hurling Championships quarterfinals and previewing the Saturday and Sunday's semifinals with Limerick Voice Sports Editor Ivan Smith. Thanks, Maxim, and welcome back to Newsbeat and Over the Bar for the Limerick Voice. I'm Aidan Corbett, and I'm delighted to be joined by sports editor Ivan Smith to discuss the hurling from the past weekend and to look ahead to some mouthwatering contests this Saturday and Sunday. How are you, Ivan? I'm good, Aidan. Thanks very much for having me. So yesterday we discussed uh, the All-Ireland Football Championship, and today, Tuesday, we'll be discussing the impending semi-finals due to take place this weekend. Today is all about the hurling, and my word, Ivan, what a weekend of hurling it was. Goals galore in both quarterfinals. Galway best in 14-man Tipperary by the skin of their teeth on a scoreline of 323 to 224, and Waterford eventually best in Clare who were trying to keep up with them and nearly did, but Waterford ran away with it in the end, 327 to 319. Just an abundance of goals on Saturday, Ivan. I think it's great to see, to be honest, because really this is what this is why we tune in. We tune in to see the best play the best. It was uh, quite an interesting tie between uh, Galway and Tipperary. Do you think Galway deserved it or do you think it was very much on a nice edge? Well, it was on a nice edge, but I felt... Galway looked marginally, now we're talking fractions here, marginally better for uh, for most of the game. But at the same time, I think the sending off, it did have a huge impact. Let's make no bones about it. Kilkenny, last year's runners-up, will be facing Wadford after they got the better at Clare in what was a very ebb and flow kind of match. Wadford stormed out of the gates, 
getting two quick goals and uh, Tony Kelly rolled his ankle, wasn't really able to move well for the whole game and Waterford eventually, after getting pulled back twice, Clare had the momentum at one stage, but Waterford in the second half just completely blew it out of the water and they weren't going to be caught once they got that much of a lead. I think Waterford fully deserved the win. I think Clare were hampered by Tony Kelly getting that ankle injury early on. I still feel like Waterford... I know people look at Kilkenny in the Leinster final, like I thought Goy were edging them for 50, 55 minutes. They led by five points. Like this is set up wonderfully for Waterford in a way because they're coming with the momentum. Everyone seems fit. You'd Connor Gleeson come into the action again, got two points off the bench. Like that's a big boost if you could have him. I really feel like Waterford are in a good spot right now. But uh, Limerick Galway, on the other hand, one of those sides are probably the favourites now to to win Liam McCarthy. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair summary. I still feel look at Limerick are still probably the favourites this year, but I think Waterford showed that you can get at them, you can rattle them. I feel like Limerick are a team that would benefit more from playing week on week. I think Kilkenny. They've some older guys, the break would probably do them more good. I still feel like Goy could get a quick start on them. And I think Goy need to bypass that middle third. Like I still feel that Goy, when they worked a short book out against Tip and they went, they almost bypassed the Tip half back line. Now they did have an extra man, which made it easier. I think they'll need to do that against Limerick to really punish them because I feel like Conor Whelan has had two fairly quiet games. I've never seen him have three quiet games. I feel like Galway are in a good spot going into this in that sense. Now Limerick obviously have the momentum and it's only it's only two weeks in a sense. It's not last year they were caught because they had more than three weeks off and they got caught in the hot by Kilkenny at the start. So I don't think that'll be as big a factor. But I still feel like the likes of Joe Canning dropping back, spraying passes the way he has been. Galway have been used possession a lot better in that second half against Tip. A lot of it will come down to the poke outs if Galway can break even there. So are you putting your neck on the line, Galway, Kilkenny for the 2020 All-Ireland Hurling Final? Yeah, I'll, I'll go I'll go for I'll go for Galway, Kilkenny, repeat of Leinster. There have been a fair few finals between them over the years. I'll go with that, but look, it could easily be Limerick and Waterford. I think we've got two cracking semi-finals in store. It's brilliant to have right now, uh, to have this at Christmas time. No, Nobody really knew what to expect, but it's actually been amazing to watch, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's been a great boost. You know, Monday to Friday, you've had, you hear about COVID, COVID, COVID. I, it just gives you a little bit of a break. And we're just talking about, didn't Joe Canning play great? Didn't um, Richie Hogan, that wasn't that an amazing goal? At Waterford look a good side this year. You know, Limerick look very tough to beat. You know, we, we're, we're able to talk about other things. And I feel like the panels are respecting the guidelines as well. I don't feel like it's just for show. I feel like um, they're making serious and conscious efforts to get these games played and to limit the possibility of the spread of the virus within the J. So I think the players deserve and management deserve an awful lot of credit. That's all we have time for today. My thanks again to Ivan, the sports editor, the Limerick Voice. No problem. Thanks very much for having me, Aidan. Thanks, Ivan. Welcome back to the news bit. It was recently announced that third level students will continue with online based learning come 2021 due to the pandemic. Many students have had different reactions towards this announcement. Let's hear what some of them had to say. Um, my name is Toby Akimbalumo. Um, I'm studying electronic and computer engineering uh, and I'm a first year in the University of Limerick. 
Can you tell me how your semester has been so far in regards to the pandemic and the restrictions of not being able to go to school? Um, so far this year has been um, pretty difficult, um, in my opinion. Um, I've had a lot of trouble with the online learning and um, I just find it more challenging um, having to um, learn other stuff online rather than being in the classroom physically, um, which has really hurt my ability to learn. It's recently been announced that it's going to continue next semester. Do you, what do you think about this? I'm pretty disappointed with it. Um, I just I was hoping next semester would be a change and I'd be able to start fresh. Do you think the quality of education from online classes and in-person classes are of the same quality? Definitely not, no. In-person classes are a lot higher quality. You can learn a lot more um, when you actually see the lecturer face-to-face rather than online, which is why um, I really dislike online classes. My name is Ife Oluwa. I'm I'm currently studying um, software engineering at the University of Limerick. How have you been able to deal with um, online learning due to the pandemic? I mean, it's good because you don't have to um, wake up every day trying to get to class before the lecturer or like getting early to class. You just have to wake up on time before the class and then join the class. What has been the downside for you in regards to the online-based learning? I'm actually really enjoying it. I think maybe the downside would be not knowing your classmates very well, but it's been fine for me. It's been good. So it's been recently announced that online-based learning is going to continue next year Mm -hmm. into the next semester. As a master's student with a one-year program, how do you feel about this? I feel like you don't get to have the full um, experience. But at the same time, I'm happy because I don't have to go and meet new people. How do you feel about the quality of education you're getting from online-based learning? So um, I feel that we should be able to get some money back because we paid to use some facilities and because of the restrictions and staying at home we don't get to use that so my name is Adilu Samuel I'm a master's student at the University of Limerick studying international studies the semester has been online since the beginning of the school year how has this affected your ability to interact with other people frankly speaking it has been very difficult um the online classes have not been helpful in terms of socializing because we are not, many of us are not used to this whole system of education. So it'll be very, very difficult. Being new to Limerick, how has it been for you to meet other people? I, I have not been able to meet new people because of the old lockdown and keeping your distance. So it's difficult to approach people. Do you think the quality of education you're getting from online-based learning and the quality of education that you would get from class, from a classroom setting is the same? It's, it's, it's definitely not the same. I think face-to-face class would be the best in terms of education because are we really learning if we cannot see other, our other classmates? And also, I, I think the school should look into um, the aspect of trying to refund students. I don't know, because um, we paid um, full school fees for face-to-face class and we are learning online. And most of us are even in our own countries. We are not even in Ireland at the moment. So does it just seem right? My name is Amira Basari. I'm in year one in the University of Limerick. I'd say the restrictions has mainly affected the social aspect of my university life. I don't really know anyone from my course. I only know one person and that's because of a mutual friend. There's over like 200 people in my course and I don't know any of them. So that is quite hard, especially if we're struggling with something and we want to ask for advice. There's no one really to go to except lecturers and they don't always reply in time. So it is quite difficult. Also, I'd say I'm a bit less motivated 
usually going to school, you have to wake up before 9am, you know, to get to your classes. But now since it's all online, I can just wake up five minutes before. Or sometimes you don't even have to wake up at a certain time because some of them are pre-recorded. It's definitely caused me to be a bit more lazy. To be honest, I don't really know how I feel about being online next year. I'm actually okay right now. In the beginning, when I first heard that the whole year was going to be online, like before I even started school, I wasn't happy about it because obviously I'm a first year. I want to enjoy the college experience, especially in first year. It's supposed to be the easiest year. So I thought it was being taken away from me. But now, or being in eight weeks already, I'm actually okay with the fact that I'm online. I feel like I get to do things in my own time. I don't think it's too bad, honestly. Social anxiety is also a thing, so like I don't have to face that when going on campus. So I kind of like that I get to be online and just do stuff in my own time, work away. I'll say the only hard part about it is just not being able to ask the lecturer questions and get answers on time. There's always pros, pros and cons to every situation. So The film industry has taken a hit during the COVID-19 pandemic. With filming altered for large parts of the year, an individual cinema shut down due to the restrictions. Our reporter, Kane Dalton, spoke to some of those affected. Thanks very much, Maxim. I talked to Ger McAuliffe, a producer and production assistant currently working on a feature in the west of Ireland. Ger recently had a film in the Cork International Film Festival and told me what life is like on a film set during the COVID-19 pandemic. In the film industry, we all had to just stop because couldn't really tell how well we could work in that environment. January and February is usually a quiet time in the film industry for people. So um, that was kind of a sad one of like, when we were just about to get back into work, that's when um, you know, this all happened. So for the next six, what was it, six months or so then, we all had to keep quiet. And then up until August, that's when um, the work came back. It's only just come back now at the moment. Have you found there's been many changes in your job? Like, There's been a lot of changes in uh, the film industry now. It's before as well, there was a lot of work that we had to do in a short space of time. And it has made it a lot tougher in some places and easier in others. One of our biggest ones is that we all have to now wear uh, medical regulated masks, all have to keep sanitizing once entering each rooms. And we have to make sure that what we have ourselves in our department and our property is only for us to touch. So before, could you have possibly been drafted in for another department maybe? Correct, yes. So for the likes of my department, which is production, by right, a lot of other departments would come to us to ask um, for the likes of organization of, you know, food, travel, accommodation, anything really that they need and need to get done we would be there and usually it meant a member of the department coming into the office to speak to us but now it's all digital it all has to be online as well what a lot of these bigger productions are doing is that we stay in an accommodation area and we isolate and we pod so they kind of ask us then that on the weekends we don't travel home they're helping us to do that so uh, they're not forcing us they're just asking biggest things is that we constantly have to be tested it's one of the other um, cases that we have. So we need to they do these fast COVID tests. They, and we have to get checked twice a week now, uh, which can be irritating, but it just has to be done to make sure that all of us are safe. I also spoke to Gillian O'Connor, the manager of The Real Picture in Blackpool, Cork City. 
I asked Gillian about her thoughts on dealing with the general public during a pandemic and the prospect of opening her doors once again. Um, will you be open with level three? Is that allowed in the new restrictions? We don't know yet. Um, we had to close on the last level three, so we yeah. closed on the 6th of October, whereas everybody else was still open until the 22nd. This time round, I know there are discussions going on in the background to try and get cinema in because cinema is actually very, very safe. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we have the distancing, everybody's facing in the same direction, the masks are enforced. You know, you're in an enclosed space for a limited period of time or whatever, but there isn't moving, there isn't shouting, there isn't talking. Yeah. So I think in that regard, cinema does trade successfully in COVID restriction times, as they say, you know, in terms of there have been no outbreaks yeah. directly connected to cinema. How do you feel about opening? My major concern would be if we did open on the 1st of December with everybody else, that while we could trade safely, comfortably, and I, I could bang on about that all the time, yeah. but while we could trade safely, what's going to go on outside? You know, what way are people going to behave when it comes to the pubs, when it comes mm-hmm. to going into the shops are people going to start just acting as if we're back to normal and then does it mean we close again in January and I suppose with the videos kind of emerging every week now of you know people acting acting up in towns did that annoy you or did that annoy people in the in working in retail film like it's frustrating to watch well it's only frustrating in that People are constantly going on about how we're all in this together and everybody's doing, well, everybody would like to think they're doing the right thing and you're staying at home, you're staying away from people when you do return back to work, you're doing your distancing, you're doing your cleaning and then you see that and you're like, well, only some of us are in this together. So what's that going to do to the general population down the line? Do you think that maybe the government could have been clearer or had better kind of relaying of information or has it been okay for you? One thing I have found is that cinemas don't get mentioned as much as I would like. Um, as maybe they're being mentioned more. theatres and other places. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, you hear about pubs, you hear about mm. theatres, you hear about, you know, the musician side and the, the actual live acts, which it, I completely understand why they would be seen as something because it affects individuals more. Whereas cinema is just, you know, a bunch of people sitting in a room looking at a wall as such. Mm-hmm. They're not looking <laughs> at performers. It would be nice if we were mentioned so that, you mm-hmm. know, we knew exactly what the government were talking about when they were talking about arts, when they were talking about culture. You know, do they see cinema as a cultural thing? The fate of cinemas will not be known until later this week. But for now and for Newsbeat, this has been Key Dalton. That's it for today. It's been the Newsbeat on the Limerick Voice. From me and all the team, have a good day and stay safe. Thank you.